0: I find that as the weather goes through so the warmth of our fellowship goes, look at all those smiling faces, nice. <laughs> well, we've reached that point in our service that we're going to open up the Word together and to read for us is Adrian. You can find the bulletin, uh, the scripture reading in your bulletin. Do you want to go to
1: Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 26 to 43. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Test one, two? Okay. I didn't get to test my uh, mic beforehand, so that was just what it was. Now, Martin Luther King Jr., he was an American Baptist minister and civil rights leader fighting against segregation and discrimination of people of color. In 1963, he gave one of the most powerful speeches in all of American history, And many of you guys know this this speech was called his I Have a Dream speech. And I'll read an excerpt from that speech. This is how it goes. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. You know, that's a kind of speech that just fires you up and, and, it, it's, and it inspires you the moment you hear the words for freedom. And I think it does that because it resonates with something that's very deep within us, a mutual longing for freedom, to liberate us from whatever kind of circumstance that might be holding us down today. But here's the sobering reality for many of us. The freedom we want may not be the freedom that we need to satisfy the deepest parts of our soul the freedom we we want may not be the freedom that we need. And our text today talks about the importance of finding freedom in the right way from the right place. Specifically, there are two things that we learn about freedom. The freedom you want and the freedom you need. So firstly, the freedom you want. This, this is actually Paul's First recorded sermon in Pisidian Antioch after his conversion that took place in chapter 9. And in his sermon, he calls out the Jewish leaders by saying that they didn't recognize Jesus and that they didn't understand Scripture, even though they read it every single Sabbath in the synagogue. Paul goes on to restate the events that have occurred up to now that the Jews who lived in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus and their leaders, they were the ones who were responsible for condemning and killing an innocent man, even though he didn't deserve to die. And so we have to ask this question, what would make someone go to such extremes to kill an innocent man? To answer that, we have to understand what kind of freedom these Jewish people really wanted. Now at the time, they were living under the rule of the Roman Empire. This meant that they didn't have the freedom of being independent, an independent nation they wanted to be, with their own king to rule over them and to protect them. And so the Jewish people, they continued to look forward to the promise that God had made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where it says that one day God would make Israel into a great nation by firmly establishing them so that they may dwell in their own place with no more enemies to disturb them. And he would raise up a king who would establish the throne of his kingdom forever, from which his steadfast love would never depart. You see, the freedom... That both the Jews and their leaders wanted was a political freedom from the Roman Empire. And the way they sought this freedom was by working tirelessly to keep the law of Moses, because they didn't want to be disqualified from that promise. They wanted to make sure that they continued keeping up their moral obligations and responsibilities of living in the best way possible according to how God had commanded them to live. And they had this kind of attitude, trying to almost negotiate with God. You know, they they were thinking, look, God, I held up my end of keeping all of your laws. Now hold up yours by fulfilling your promise to David, establishing that political freedom and our kingdom here and now. Make us into that great nation and raise up your messiah to rescue us from this roman empire. So that's the setting that we see. The setting that Paul is preaching to in this text. But you see when Jesus, when Jesus came into the scene, he was proclaiming a different kind of kingdom for the people of God. It wasn't a political one that promised immediate freedom from the present circumstances. Jesus came preaching and proclaiming a spiritual kingdom that was here and now. It was a kingdom whose gates were wide open for the addicts, the greedy, the prostitutes. Essentially, Jesus was proclaiming that the kingdom promised from the Old Testament was a kingdom that was accessible to even those who were considered to be the untouchables in the Jewish society. And for the Jews hearing this, this was no powerful promised kingdom. This was a scandalous kingdom. It was a fragile kingdom that proclaimed, blessed are the poor, the meek, the mourning, the hungry. It was almost a direct insult to everything that the Jewish people were anticipating and wanting because Jesus was saying that they were wrong. And that the freedom they want wasn't the freedom that they needed. And so that's why they despised Jesus and went on this campaign to end up having him get killed. Now, implications for us hearing this today. Given all of the circumstances in your life, what could you say is the greatest freedom that you're looking for? Is it the freedom that comes with power? To have enough power, to have the status, to get to that reputation where you can do as you wish and you have the influence and the impact on how other people view you? Is it the freedom that comes from money? To be able to accumulate enough wealth, to be worry-free, and to be able to live a comfortable life that isn't encumbered by any of the finances or costs that are affecting our entire global economy today? Or is it the freedom that comes from relationships? To find deep fulfillment in the current relationships you may have, whether that's in your family, in your marriage, or with your significant other, Or in the making of new relationships, new friendships that you believe will fill that void of emptiness, loneliness, and approval that you're looking for? What is the freedom that you want in your life today? Let's go even further. For those of you who are believers, do you ever find yourself negotiating with God to receive such a freedom in return. You say, God, I haven't missed a single Sunday service. Now I've been involved and in serving in my church. I've gone out to all of my small group meetings. So now can you provide me with that promotion or job opportunity that you know I've been asking you about for a long, long time? Could it be something like, God, I've always made sure to never miss any of my offerings. I even tithe 10% of the bonus that I just received. So can you help me pay off my mortgage? Because it just doesn't seem to be getting any smaller. Or perhaps, God, I've gone above and beyond to be a great host to the people around me. But my own life still feels kind of empty. Can you provide me with that meaningful relationship, that meaningful friendship that I know I need right now? For those of us who are skeptics, you're currently seeking the Christian faith, and you're looking in through the windows to see what the world looks like from a Christian perspective. Does the world seem to be a place where Christians seem to be these good people receiving all these blessings and rewards from God because they're doing all the things that He desires? So they get all these good things in return. And does it seem like the non-Christians are the bad people with unfortunate things happening to them because God isn't pleased with the way that they're living? Well, one thing we learn from our text today is this, that the moment we try to negotiate with God to get what we want, we're, just, we're being just like the Jewish people and their leaders because we are not recognizing Jesus for who he is, for what he has come to do, nor are we understanding what Scripture is saying. You know, Jim Carrey, who is a uh, very successful Canadian-American actor and comedian, he made this very sobering and profound comment that sheds light on the kind of freedom that many of us may be chasing after. He says this, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so that they will know that's not the answer. The freedom you want may not be the freedom that you need. Now, secondly, the freedom that you need. A friend of mine who had moved from Toronto to BC over five years ago, happened to be visiting over this past weekend. And as we were catching up, he said something to me that struck me, and it lingered for quite a bit. He said this, Toronto just seems to be sad now. I asked him, what do you mean? What do you mean Toronto's sad? <laughs> so he said this, everyone looks like they're busy trying to get somewhere you know people seem to have this really cold demeanor in their expression that gives off this i don't have time for you look so don't bother me it just feels like everyone is hustling so hard and trying to get by it gives me these this new york kind of vibe at first i was thinking torontonian's were better than new york people <laughs> we're nicer <laughs> than them what do you mean <laughs> but what he said stuck with me and it bothered me for a bit, so I had to think about it. And I wonder, I wonder if that describes you as you commute to work in the morning time. If that describes you as you're going to pick up your morning coffee or as you're going to drop off your kids in the morning. I know many times it can describe me. If this is so, then we may need to find a different kind of freedom that releases us from that treadmill of work, performance, and just grinding it out that just never seems to end. A kind of freedom that liberates you and brings you into a place of grace, a place of approval, a place of security and love. This is the kind of freedom that Paul is referring to when he tells us that everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Okay, so what is he saying here right now? Because that seems confusing. Well, we need to understand what the law of Moses meant for the Jewish people who were listening. The law of Moses, that represented the covenant relationship that God entered into with his people. And in this, there were two parts to that agreement. The first part, the Israelites were to obey God's commands and live in such a way that was holy and that was pleasing to him. And the summary of that moral law was given through the Ten Commandments. And the second part of that, was that different kinds of sacrifices were provided to forgive the sins of the Israelites whenever they would fail to obey God's holy laws. Now, here's the most important part about the law of Moses, that covenant relationship God had with his people that the Jewish people and their leaders have missed. The forgiveness of sins that comes through the sacrifices of animals was only made possible because of God's mercy, because of God's grace. You see, human beings can't can't initiate the forgiveness for other human beings on behalf of God because sin is a direct trespass against God himself. And that's something that only God can do, that only God himself can deal with. In other words, the law of Moses was always, always centered on the grace of God. In Deuteronomy 7, after the law was given, Moses reminds the Israelites that it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people but it is because the Lord loved you. You see, God didn't choose to enter into a covenant with his people because of any merit earned from their own work in keeping the law. In fact, they... In the history of the Old Testament, as we read, they will mess up time and time again. They are stubborn, they are rebellious, they continue to turn away from God, continue to turn to idols time and again. And they would break that law. But rather, God entered into a covenant with his people out of sheer abundant love and grace. He loved them just because he loved them. But in their effort to obey God's laws, the Jewish people and their leaders started to depend more on their own performance, trying to enter into the presence of God. And in doing so, they became way too focused on trying to earn his approval and favor so as to bring about that political freedom they were longing for, that they wanted for their nation. And by doing that, they lost sight of the true purpose behind their covenant relationship with God. A relationship that was based not on works, but on grace. And as a result, they became enslaved to their own treadmill of work under what Paul talks about, the law of Moses. But the freedom that they needed to liberate them from that came through the person of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ, who they were the ones who condemned him and they killed him, even though he was totally innocent. In fact, Jesus was the only man in all of human history who perfectly obeyed and fulfilled every single moral obligation and requirement of the law. I mean, if there was any reason for condemnation in that Jewish court at the time, it should have been those people and the leaders who would have been guilty for trying to leverage their own self-righteous efforts against God for their own personal gain. But yet Jesus, Jesus would still submit to the beatings. Jesus would still endure the humiliation. Jesus would still be killed and be nailed to the cross and labeled as a criminal as he took on the full weight of God's holy wrath for the sins of his people. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the final sacrifice that the law of Moses had always been pointing to. It had always been part of God's plan from the beginning of time for his covenant people, for them to look forward in faith to a Messiah who would one day come to die for their sins and to fulfill the moral requirement, the legal obligations of the law on their behalf that they could never do. And when God raised Jesus from the grave, there was a clear, definitive moment where he crushed and conquered and defeated the power of sin and death once and for all. And for everyone who believes in him, the spirit of Christ now dwells in them and puts to death the power and the dominion of sin in their own lives as well. They are pardoned and accepted as righteous and approved in the sight of God. They experience the true freedom found in communion with God, his unconditional approval, his unconditional delight. This is what it means to be free from the law of Moses. And this is the freedom that we all need in our lives today, a freedom where we're not pressured to try to reach a certain point that just seems to be evading us, but a freedom where we can just rest, a freedom where we can find grace, a freedom that isn't dependent on our performance, but a freedom that is freely given to us through the love of God, being perfectly safe, perfectly secure, in the father's loving embrace so the implications for you today for you today if you currently find yourself trying to run that perfect race called life and you're trying to get to the finish line that promises all kinds of freedom would you consider these two things number 1 you may end up running out of steam and burning out in the process. Maybe it's already happened for some of you, or maybe it's happening, or maybe it hasn't happened yet. Or number two, you may end up reaching the finish line just to be disappointed that the freedom you were promised that you wanted doesn't end up filling up your deepest needs. If this describes you today, stop running. Stop running. Look to the one who's already run that perfect race for you, who's lived the perfect life of obedience for you and suffered the greatest hardship of disappointment and loss imaginable as his heavenly father turned his face away while he hung all alone on that cross for your sins and for mine. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who purchased the most important freedom that you need by forgiving all of your sins so that you can stand before God without shame, without guilt, without blame, regardless of how hideous your sins may be. It is by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that washes you as white as snow. And in the eyes of God, you are now forgiven. You are redeemed. You are a beautifully adopted child, unconditionally showered by the Father's grace and by the Father's love, and he will never turn his face away again because you are precious to him. Like the apple of his eye. This is the freedom that every human soul longs for restored communion with God. And this is the freedom that's available for all of you today, for all of us today. Anyone and everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God who's come to die for your sins and mine. And now he ushers us into this kingdom of grace where we can come just the way we are, just the way you are, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. So would you turn to him? Turn to him to experience that freedom of grace in the relationship with God. As the words of Isaiah 50, 55 say, come, come, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is the freedom that we need. Let's pray. I'd like to encourage you this moment just to consider the question, what is the freedom that you're chasing after today? And consider that that freedom may not be the freedom that you need. Because as we see in our passage, the freedom that all of us need is the freedom to be able to stand freely in the grace of God without any, any work or any performance or any merit of our kind. And that comes through the work of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you on the cross. So would you consider that question and take the moment just to reflect about what freedom you're chasing after and the freedom that we truly need in Christ? Lord, at this time, we confess that we can't help ourselves We can't help ourselves want the kinds of freedom that promises us satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness in life apart from you. Lord, if that is where we are, would you help us to see that there is greater freedom that you have in store for us? The freedom where we get to have communion with you We are freely loved by you. And we can sit in your grace, in your loving embrace. Draw us back to that, oh God. And for those of us who do not know you yet, we pray that you may help us to come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, to be able to put our trust into him and to be able to experience that freedom to be in relationship with you. This is our prayer, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. At this time, we have uh, some time for some Q&A.
0: Thanks for your questions. There are a couple here which uh, are not directly related to the sermon, so out of fairness to Stephen, if you email him afterwards, I'm sure he'd be happy to dialogue with you about those. Uh, But you have a question here, Stephen says, uh, Did God's grace precede the giving of the law in the Old Testament?
2: wow that's a good question did god's grace precede the giving of the law in the old testament yes uh (laughs) we we see uh when we look at the life of abraham we see that uh it was counted to righteousness to abraham because he believed uh the time of abraham was before the time of the law Moses came after Abraham, and so uh, in that way, since the time of Abraham, it was um, the people of God knew that it was by faith that righteousness came, it was by faith that you were saved. Um, So yeah, yes, grace did precede the giving of the law.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, In this text, there's uh, themes of fearing God and loving God, so how can we best describe to the non-Christian what it means to biblically fear and love God? Does the fear of God contradict the greatest commandment?
2: Another great question. Uh, fearing God in in this context uh, means having a uh, having a deep reverence towards God. But in the reverence that you have towards someone, there is legitimate fear there. For example, if we are to um, stand before uh, the king, the king at the time. In this context, if we were to stand before the king of a nation, they had any every right to just kill you if they found any fault in you. And there was definite fear in there. But yet there was also deep reverence, knowing that this king is able, capable to do that kind of stuff. When the people feared God, there is a deep reverential understanding that God is a powerful God. God is a fearsome God. And that is true. But God I think the other component to that that we shouldn't forget is that this same fearsome God is also a fiercely loving God who would send his son to die for you, to enter into a relationship with you. So, I'll thanks, Stephen. That.
0: Uh, last question here. Um, you talked about um, some of the teachings of the Jewish teachings at the time. Uh, do you feel that the religious leaders of Jesus' time spoke their version of the prosperity gospel?
2: I would have to think a little bit more about that, so I can't really, um, I want to think so in a a certain way, but I I can't really answer that right away uh, from the top of my head, so I'll leave it at that, perhaps. (laughs) Thanks, Tarek.
0: Thanks for the response, but before we do that, please join in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent uh, your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can experience the freedom of the gospel We pray that whatever barriers or hindrances that are keeping us away from experiencing that freedom, that you would break that down so that we would enjoy you, that we would love you, we would serve you and obey you, and experience this freedom in the way that you have designed by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please rise if you can and join us in our song of response.